So these are my uh, these are my disclosures. Not very many. So um, in the 1970s, uh, following chemotherapy cures of testicular cancer and several lymphomas, there was real optimism that small cell lung cancer might be one of the next uh, tumors to be cured with chemotherapy and, and maybe the first solid tumor. Uh, fast forward to 2013. Uh, Small cell lung cancer, along with pancreatic cancer, was the subject of the Recalcitrant Cancer Research Act, uh, which was passed by Congress for a lack of progress. And this is really going to frame my talk. Small cell is uh, a type of lung cancer. It's distinguished from non-small cell lung cancer in several important ways. Um, it is a highly aggressive neuroendocrine malignancy. Um, as opposed to adenocarcinoma and squamous cell carcinoma, um, which are the main types of non-small cell lung cancer. It's almost always disseminated at diagnosis, um, and it, it's usually overtly metastatic uh, and almost never surgically resected, uh, with uh, the only biopsy being performed, clinically indicated biopsy, being performed in order to make the diagnosis. And belying that grim picture and grim prognosis, small cell lung cancer is incredibly responsive to first-line chemotherapy, uh, which since the 1990s has been with a combination of a platinum agent, either carboplatin or cisplatin, plus etoposide, with a 60 to 70 percent response rate. Um, and here I think it's closer to between 70 and 80, um, which is more than twice the response rate to first-line chemotherapy of non-small cell lung cancer. So the problem with this disease arises uh, in that we don't have consolidation therapy like, uh, with, like in AML. Uh, and when it inevitably relapses, which it does, the response to second-line DNA damaging therapy is far, far lower, uh, 20 to 30% if there was a durable response to first-line platinum plus etoposide. Um, but actually, the strongest stratifier of patient response to second-line therapy post-relapse is how long they responded to first-line platinum etoposide. And if it's an early relapse, there is less than a 10% chance that the patient will respond to the only effective second-line therapies thus far, which are DNA-damaging agents. Uh, Topotecan is the only approved second-line therapy, but uh, other single agents are about equally eff effective. And so the picture that this paints is one of extreme cross-resistance in relapsed small cell lung cancer, where uh, whatever the mechanisms are that confer resistance to platinum plus etoposide, they also confer resistance to uh, second-line DNA damaging agents as well. I'd be remiss in saying the, the uh, approved first-line regimen did change this year uh, with the addition of atezolizumab. Uh, anti-PD-L1. Uh, anti However, um, this didn't affect the response rate at all with the response rate. So there were no additional tumors that responded to EP plus atezolizumab, but about 10% of patients would have a far more durable response. And the responses to immune checkpoint blockade were far more meager than they are in non-small cell lung cancer, at least thus far. So in order to study the purpose of, of, uh, of my work uh, over the last five years has been to uh, design a system and start to study uh, this cross-resistance phenomenon in small cell lung cancer, since this seems to be the main obstacle to improving care. 
in order to have a system that would be appropriate for studying cross-resistance, uh, we'd need to retain the molecular features of small cell lung cancer in patients uh, and also the functional features that have to be fidelity to these DNA-damaging therapies, and it would have to be large enough to capture a population of small cell patients, to capture intertumoral uh, heterogeneity. So the first two-thirds of my talk will be dedicated to describing the system that we developed and the last third to describing what we found. Uh, this has not been done by myself alone. This is a large collaborative effort between myself in Nick Dyson's lab. Nick is my PI uh, in the Charlestown Naval Yard campus, uh, and Anna Farago, my clinical collaborator in the thoracic oncology group. Um, in addition, Marcella Stanzione, a much-needed expert in DNA damage, joined our group about two years ago. And all of this work was done in collaboration with Jun Zong and Edmund Wong, who are uh, members of the Dyson Lab, as well as former members, Sarah Fat and David Myers. So here's our approach. The system that we developed was a large panel of patient-derived xenograft models of small cell lung cancer. Um, and this was our general approach. Uh, uh, patient-derived xenograft models are generated by direct implantation of tumor material into highly immunocompromised mice, in this case NSG mice, without an in vitro, in vitro intermediate. Uh, and when possible, this is done with biopsy specimens. However, for this particular disease, biopsy specimens are exceedingly rare, uh, only in no, uh, so, uh, Surgical resections almost never, uh, almost never emerge, only in node-negative patients, and usually the only biopsy is in the uh, pretreatment patients. And of course, they usually patients usually respond to first-line therapy, uh, and it's the relapse disease that we would like to uh, study. In 2014, Carolyn Dive's group developed a method to generate patient-derived xenograft models from circulating tumor cells which they isolated manually. Um, and in parallel, we, uh, a little bit after them, uh, in collaboration with Daniel Haber and Shamla Mahaswaran, we used their CTC iChip, which is a microfluidic device uh, that uh, isolates unperturbed live circulating tumor cells to generate PDX models uh, from circulating tumor cells. And this has really accelerated our ability to generate these models and also enabled the generation of post-relapse models and potentially serial models since you can get blood draws without uh, exposing a patient to an unnecessary invasive procedure. So this is the panel of models that we've developed since, uh, since the summer of 2014. Um, developed 66 PDX models of small cell lung cancer from 46 patients. Uh, they're depicted here uh, with each MGH number representing a different patient and each circle representing a different model. The red circles are derived from circulating tumor cells. The blue circles derived from biopsies or effusions when available. And each arrow represents a line of therapy with the heavy black arrow representing the common therapy in small cell lung cancer, platinum plus etoposide. The lengths of the arrows are not proportional to uh, the duration of response. Um, both methods are extremely efficient for generating PDX models. About one in three blood draws for small cell lung cancer processed through the iChip would result in a PDX, and almost 90% of biopsy and effusion samples would result in a model. 
And so the critical first critical question is uh, one of molecular fidelity. We generate these models sometimes from just a handful of a few thousand circulating tumor cells. Uh, how similar are they to the patient's tumor? And so uh, we assess this by, uh, com by comparative genomics uh, with seven matched PDX models and patient tumor biopsies. Two of these models were biopsy-derived and were actually the same biopsies that we uh, sequenced by whole exome. Um, and five of them were CTC-derived and therefore anatomically distinct. And we generated exomes of the PDX at passage zero, so the very first tumor that emerged, as well as passage two. Uh, so the first thing that uh, you can see, I'll, I'll sort of point. Um, so the way that this is arrayed is each bar across represents a different patient with the top row representing the patient biopsy, the second row representing the P0, and the third row, the passage two. Um, what you can see immediately, this is copy number alterations, is the, a dramatic difference between different patients in copy number alteration, but uh, relatively few copy number alterations that are generated between patient or PDX, even the CTC derived, and uh, even fewer new alterations with passaging. Similarly, the total mutational burden, which is measured here uh, as total mutations in the exome, um, varied very little between, and the distribution of mutations, of types of alterations, varied uh, very little between the patient biopsy and the CTC or biopsy-derived PDX. And when we looked directly at the alterations uh, for all but one case, which was a, a MGH1514, which was relatively unusual case of a non-smoker with an EGF, de novo EGFR mutation and de novo small cell, um, greater than 95% identity was observed between uh, the patient biopsy and the PDXs. So we think that, uh, at least at the genomic level, these are fairly faithful models. Um, so we now will turn to uh, the functional fidelity of the platform. So as I mentioned, um, almost all patients uh, in the first line receive cisplatin or carboplatin plus etoposide. And over the past year now with the addition of atezolizumab, um, we don't have any models uh, derived from patients who received atezolizumab yet. So this will be restricted to EP. Um, and hypothesis here, we, we would, in order to study cross-resistance, we need to be able to model resistance to EP uh, and make sure that these are clinically faithful. Uh, if the PDXs accurately capture these responses, then models derived from patients before therapy should be, in aggregate, more sensitive than models derived after therapy. And of note, the established small cell cell lines here, this is a study um, from Bev Teicher's group of 66 uh, of the established uh, NCI cell lines. Um, in vitro, there is no correlation between their clinical history and their sensitivity to either etoposide or cisplatin. So this can't be studied, at least in vitro, in the established lines. We start from, uh, so we do this in vivo uh, across a panel of PDX models. We start from a large tumor volume to be able to accurately measure uh, the maximum regression, which we call best response, uh, as well as the time to tumor doubling uh, or uh, 
time to which we're calling time to progression. And the initial panel that we studied was of 32 PDX models, all in uh, with multiple replicates per model, which was composed of 13 models derived from naive patients and 19 from post-relapse patients. Here I'm showing the waterfall plot of the best response. The purple uh, bars are models that are from post-relapse patients. The green models are from uh, chemo-naive patients. And uh, what your eye can see with the waterfall plot here is shown the uh, mean response of each model. Uh, there's a significant, although not absolutely perfect, difference between the models derived post-relapse and the models derived from chemo-naive patients. This can be further subdivided among the models derived post-relapse. I mentioned that there's a difference between uh, patients who are platinum sensitive and therefore relapse within three months and patients who are platinum resistant and relapse uh, from EP after three months. Um, and this difference is uh, captured within the post-relapse models as well, with the post-relapse models derived from platinum-sensitive patients being an aggregate more EP-sensitive than those derived from platinum-resistant patients. So that's one therapy that uh, is really important for studying small cell that we seem to be modeling pretty well. Uh, a second opportunity arose, my uh, collaborator Anna Farago initiated a uh, trial of olaparib plus temozolomide, olaparib PARP inhibitor, temozolomide, a DNA alkylating agent, uh, in post-relapse patients uh, with small cell lung cancer. The rationale for this, uh, just to prevent any confusion, is not the same as the rationale for BRCA mutant dovarian or breast cancer, where there's a defect in homologous recombination. Here, it's almost entirely empiric with the observation that small cell lung cancer expresses PARP1 at very high levels compared to non-small cell lung cancer, and that the cell lines, for whatever reason, are exquisitely sensitive to PARP inhibitors, comparable to BRCA mutant breast cancer. Um, in addition, uh, PARP inhibitors tend to synergize with, uh, with uh, DNA damaging agents, especially alkylators, hence the OT or olaparib temozolomide combination. Um, and her single-arm phase 1-2 uh, trial of, of OT in relapsed small cell was uh, really promising with an overall response rate that, uh, although it's hard to compare between single-arm studies, was very high uh, for small cell lung cancer in the relapse setting, almost 42%. We were fortunate to derive PDX models from four patients on the phase 1 portion of the trial, um, and we can use these to evaluate the, our, the fidelity of our system to OT. Uh, so shown here are uh, the baseline nadir and progression CT scans of the measurable disease uh, for these four patients. Um, two of these patients, uh, MGH at the top, 1528 and 1518, had deep and durable responses to OT, and this was reflected in their PDX models. What's shown there uh, in the spider plot is the untreated in gray versus the uh, models that received, the, the xenografts that received a single cycle of olaparib temozolomide. And in all of the, for both of those models, there was complete regression um, and no reemergence of the tumor for at least 60 days. In contrast, uh, MGH1514, which was derived from a patient with brief disease stabilization, uh, was far less sensitive to uh, olaparib temozolomide, the model was, um, with some shrinkage of the tumor and rapid progression. And the three models, we also derived three models post-relapse, including a pair of models from the durable responders. And in both of those cases, the models derived at progression onto OT were highly resistant. Um, so 
if we organize these from least sensitive to most sensitive, going from left to right, this recapitulates the clinical history of, uh, of these patients with the post-relapse models on the far left and the, um, and the, uh, the stable, uh, um, that should, yeah, the partial response models on the far right. And this gave us the confidence to treat the same 32 model panel with, that we treated with EP with olaparib temozolomide, uh, because now we can distinguish what is a sensitive or a resistant model, uh, sensitive or resistant response. So to summarize that first portion of the talk, uh, we've generated a large uh, panel of uh, patient-derived xenograft models that are genomically faithful uh, to the patient tumors and functionally faithful for uh, two DNA-damaging regimens, the first line, platinum plus etoposide, and the second line, olaparib temozolomide. So now we can move on to starting to get an idea of what might be underneath this cross-resistance phenomenon. So first question, is there cross-resistance in the PDX panel? Um, so, in general, when we compare uh, now time to progression on EP versus OT, and that's this dot plot, EP versus OT, uh, with each dot representing a different PDX model for those 32, there's a moderate correlation uh, with a Pearson value of 0.56. We also uh, generated tra a bulk transcriptome sequencing on untreated uh, xenografts, and this was in order to try to discover biomarkers. And when we compared the correlation of each transcript with both of these regimens, I was kind of struck by the fact that um, the correlation was stronger between the transcripts than it was between the uh, EP and OT regimens themselves. And to orient yourself on this, if there was a transcript that stratified EP from OT, uh, it would appear in the upper left or lower right corners. And we really didn't see that at all. Just about every transcript that correlated with one correlated with the other, which suggested that underneath uh, EP and OT is some common signature, which might be the cross-resistance signature. And in fact, uh, when we went a little bit deeper into the transcriptome profiling and looked at gene set enrichment and then the leading edge of that gene set enrichment analysis, uh, was struck by this unusual finding that the basal expression of interferon-stimulated genes in PDXs um, was quite low in the cross-resistant models and significantly higher as models became more sensitive. So that's uh, in the lower, lower right-hand uh, panel that's shown uh, with z-score for mean interferon-stimulated gene expression. The green are the higher expressors, the purple are the lower expressors. Not exactly sure what this means yet, um, and I'm still not exactly sure, but the first question was, this was a, mainly a, a very large discovery set, uh, is this real? Um, so at least within the PDX models, we have 66 of them. I took another 11 models uh, for which we didn't have RNA-seq and performed uh, uh, RT-PCR on three of the th three canonical interferon-stimulated genes that were present in the signature in the signature um, trail, which is uh, TNFSF10, CKM1, and OAS1. And in these models, uh, this uh, strongly distinguished sensitivity to olaparib temozolomide. So uh, in that plot the, is the, OT, the best response to OT for uh, the six resistant models on the left, the five sensitive models on the right, and then red is low expression for the three uh, interferon-stimulated genes, blue high expression, and, and it seems to pan out. 
So the next real question uh, is going to be why. So one more uh, confirmation study before I, I go on to potential reasons why. Uh, still, this, this signature was discovered for OT and EP. Uh, question is for an unknown DNA damaging regimen that's clinically relevant for small cell. Would the signature hold up? And I'm in the middle of doing this. I've only done uh, topotecan sensitivity for 13 of the 32 models, but it does seem to work for topo as well. Well. So I think that whatever the signature means, it represents general cross-resistance. So what could it mean? It's a little bit, we, we generally understand uh, interferon and interferon response as an immunostimulatory phenomenon. And all of these experiments are done in NSG mice that lack B cells, T cells, or NK cells, and yet recapitulate the patient uh, response to these DNA damaging therapies. So it's kind of a conundrum. Whatever the basal interferon stimulate, whatever the interferon response or basal uh, expression of interferon stimulated genes is doing, it's not doing it by recruiting T cells or, or, or B cells or, or stimulating the immune system. Um, need to refine this hypothesis a little bit. Um, and so uh, the ISG signature is kind of hard to work with, but what could be behind the ISG signature? Um, so along the pathway for uh, generating an interferon response uh, are these two, uh, these two proteins, C-gas and Sting. C-gas uh, was dis described over the past decade as a cytosolic DNA binding protein uh, that can respond to, uh, it's not sequence specific, but it binds to double-stranded DNA in the cytosol usually um, as a means of fighting off, uh, an intracellular means of fighting off a viral infection and stimulates interferon, uh, interferon production and interferon signaling. And within this pathway, the C-gas binding protein sting uh, was bimodally expressed and much lower expressed in the resistant models from the sensitive. And there is some, uh, there is some literature saying that uh, sting is silenced um, uh, epigenetically in adenocarcinomas, so this might be underlying that basal signature. The last data slide that I'm going to show, um, I won't actually get to the critical question, which is, what happens if you add back sting expression in a cross-resistant model or take it away in a cross-sensitive model? Not because I'm not interested in doing that, but just because uh, we're in the middle of it and I, I don't have the answer yet. Um, but I can answer a preliminary question, which is, does this basal ISG signature represent capacity to stimulate interferon uh, signaling with DNA damage. And so for that, I use these, uh, this pair of serial models, 1518-1B and 1518-3, derived from the same patient before EP and after olaparib temozolomide. Uh, and this does represent true cross-resistance because in addition to 1518-3 being resistant to EP and OPT, it's also highly resistant to topotecan, even though the patient never received that. Uh, my colleague Marcello has looked at this uh, this pair of serial models and found that with daily dosing of olaparib temozolomide, as you might expect, there is uh, reduced generation of uh, GIMH2AX foci, which may represent double-stranded breaks or double-stranded break signaling in the resistant model versus the sensitive. Um, and what I found was that a proxy, uh, a good proxy for interferon signaling, phosphostat-1, uh, in response to five days of olaparib temozolomide treatment, goes up in the ISG high 
OT-sensitive model, 1518-1B, but not the uh, OT-resistant ISG-low model, uh, 1518-3. That's not by itself a complete experiment because it doesn't say whether or not it's because of low sting expression or absence of generation of DNA damage, but it is a start. So I have basically two models at this point that I need to explore. The um, interferon-stimulated gene signature could be a, is it a marker or is it a mediator? If it's a marker of, um, of if the low ISG signature is a marker of cross-resistance, then this would likely be because whatever the process is that generates cross-resistance in the patient also uh, there's a pruning of the cells that have an interferon response such that all that you're left with are the ISG low uh, cells. Alternatively, if it's a mediator of cross-resistance or if uh, interferon signaling is important for uh, sensitivity to DNA damage in this disease, then it's not because of B cells or T cells, because it also works in these NSG mice, and therefore it would be um, an adaptive immune independent uh, function and potentially even a cell intrinsic function of interferon signaling. So uh, with that, I'd like to uh, put out a special thanks uh, first to the 46 patients who were responsible for generating uh, these PDX models uh, that I've been using for the last uh, several years to try to address this question. Um, also to my PI and uh, mentor, Nick Dyson, uh, and to Anna Farrago, who's uh, been my research partner for the last five years. Uh, the entire uh, small cell group uh, in the Dyson lab and on the main campus, um, Daniel's lab uh, and Shamla's lab, without whom I wouldn't have been able to generate most of these models, um, and uh, the rest of the Cancer Center and my funding sources. Thank you. Any questions? Sure. Um. Yeah, so quick question regarding just the old mechanisms of drug pump expression and the treatment naive and post-resistant models. Did you look at those? Yeah, so the um, multi -drug, the the MDR pumps didn't, I, I looked at all of them that had been described and they didn't end up correlating uh, in vivo with either one. I, so the way that, uh, this, this isn't the first time that resistance to DNA damage has been studied in small cell. In fact, people have been looking at it since the 1980s, since the development of the cell lines. And those emerged, um, if you take a small cell cell line and you treat it in vitro, um, H69 is a famous one, for a long period of time until it's in vitro resistant, then you'll often see upregulation of the MDR pumps. Um, and that, that didn't pan out in, for the in vivo sensitivity of PDXs. So, Ben, great talk. Um, Thanks, so, I was wondering, do you know how sting is repressed or silenced? And I, I have no idea how sting is repre repressed. However, um, that, uh, not specifically, there, there are some potential candidates. So, um, small cell is distinguished from non-small cell lung cancer. One of the uh, proteins whose expression distinguishes it, in addition to PARP1, in the same study was EZH2. Um, so that's a good candidate, uh, but certainly not the only candidate. Um, and I don't even know how it's repressed, let alone what the gene is. Chris. Chris. 
been a really great work in terms of establishing these these tools for understanding this this weird disease. One of the weird things about it is that it can arise from EGFR uh, uh, adenos. Are, do they look the same as the others when once they're transformed to, to small cell? Uh, so, so far, um, we have a couple of models of, uh, of small cell lung cancer that arose from, we have one model that was de novo small cell that happened to have, from a non-smoker, happened to have um, an EGFR mutation. And we have a couple of models that arose from patients after treatment with TKI. Thus far, for what we've looked at in the models, they look the same. And this is generally um, what's been described so far uh, in terms of their transcriptional signature. Uh, the one, one thing that's different, obviously, is their mutational profile is different and their burden of um, smoking-related mutations if they, came, if they generally come from non-smokers. Um, but does that have any functional consequences? They're about the same in terms of sensitivity to DNA damaging therapy. In fact, they're exactly the same. They all lose RB. They all lose P53. Um, so nothing so f And there have been a couple of studies epigenetically looking at them by just the, by ataxic, and, and thus far they look the same that way as well. And I'll just one last question. If I understood your, the waterfall plot that you had, I was surprised that uh, you had reasonable declines in the colon tumor, some of the EP resistant. Was it that they were harvested from the patient long after EP? Was that, you know, had they had a chance to recover sensitivity? Was there anything there that suggested why some were more sensitive to EP on each other? Sure, and I can actually rewind to it because it's, it's um, it'll, it'll get there in a second. There it is. Um, right, so the point here is, although in aggregate there's a significant difference between uh, chemo-naive models and post-relapse models, it's certainly not a hard, fast rule, and there are plenty of post-relapse models that appear to be sensitive. So the reason that I do this clinical comparison is because um, within the tolerance of the mouse, you can kind of titrate the EP regimen up or down to get what, whatever you want. Um, and I think that my EP reg regimen is a little bit strong uh, for this. The one that I originally developed it from a pair of serial models uh, to distinguish those maximally. Um, so that would be one reason why you see so many that are sensitive. Really, it's the, the response threshold that is for the majority of the chemo-naive models, and that's what's going to distinguish sensitive from resistant. Um, but uh, small, uh, first line therapy is given in four to six cycles and it's fixed. It's not drugged until progression like alaparib temozolomide. And so the distinction between the sensitive and the resistant, you're not, you're not generating resistance necessarily. And you're allowed to treat small cell lung cancer patients if it's been more than six months um, and, and they're very platinum sensitive. So. It's possible that, you know, that's a very small number of patients that you can retreat with EP because most patients before that really wouldn't be able to tolerate it because um, the regimen is, uh, beats up their bone marrow primarily. Um, and so uh, for most of these models, it's possible that they came from patients who would have been sensitive to EP if rechallenged. 